This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. doing good so uh you know as always we wanted to have you on sort of talk about what we saw in the league championship series or what you saw i guess and where you see this world series going so uh you know the floor is yours well thank you guys first of all for having me back yet again um i really really appreciate the opportunity to to sit here and talk baseball with you guys i mean it's you know not to to beat a dead horse but it's always been a dream of mine to talk baseball you know, on any sort of platform. So for you guys to give me this one, I really appreciate it. Uh, when it comes to the LCS, what a fascinating couple of series, uh, obviously between the Dodgers and Braves and then the Astros and Rays, which, you know, I told you guys on the last time I was on here, I was sort of rooting for the Astros and almost saw a truly miraculous comeback, uh, from Houston when the Rays went up three Oh, uh, and Houston was able to come back and make it a seven game series. But, um, you know, the Rays, I'll, I'll start there. I'll start with the American League and move to the National League. The Rays are such a well constructed team for specifically for a small market franchise. What they do better than anybody is they know exactly who to pay and how to pay them. Right, They know exactly what the roles of each of their players needs to be, and they're able to execute in those roles better than any team in baseball. And so the Rays' ability to sort of be able to, to take each step and sort of slow things down, when, when things were unfolding with the Astros, and they were up 3-0, and then all of a sudden you end up in a Game 7 after losing three games to a lineup that has just been unstoppable at points throughout their careers. Obviously, we know in part because of cheating, but in part because those are a bunch of really talented guys. And so they start to get as hot as they do, and they start to go ahead and and make that sort of comeback. For the Rays in Game 7 to be able to slow things down, take it pitch by pitch, and execute each step of the way to be able to win shows me 
that they do have the ability to win the World Series, even against a juggernaut like the Dodgers. And so let's get to the Dodgers. <laughs> the Dodgers, who were down 3-1 to the Braves, poor Atlanta with their ability to collapse, uh, whether it be the Braves or the Falcons or you know anybody uh, in Atlanta, constant collapses. So I, I feel really, really, really horrible for the Atlanta Braves uh, fan base, who, while they haven't necessarily treated me all that well, uh, on Twitter as of late uh, are normally very, very kind. And I know a bunch of Braves fans and, and they're, um, they're good people, but the Dodgers being down three, one and coming back and winning that series shows just how talented they are. Um, Mookie Betts is on another level uh, defensively. Um, I was talking about it this morning for the Red Sox to, to salary dump him uh, to me is, is it's like, it's as pathetic of a move as the Babe Ruth trade. Like, I mean that that seriously. Not that Mookie Betts is Babe Ruth. The Fenway Sports Group is worth somewhere between $6.5 and $8 billion. And this offseason, they just said, eh, we don't want to pay one of the best players in baseball anymore. We'll send him to this other huge market team and not really get anything all that great back for him. And now he's helping lead that team to the World Series and the Red Sox look like a dumpster fire. So... I, historically, it, that's one of the worst trades ever. And for him to come up big defensively, ironically, each of the last three games in their game five win, game six win, game seven win, just shows how valuable players like that are. Um, and that lineup is, it, it's sick. It's, it's, it, I talked about it going into the series. It's one of the most complete teams that has ever existed in Major League Baseball history from top to bottom, period. Like, if this was not a 60-game season and we were headed into a World Series where, ironically, you end up with the two best teams in the World Series, if we were not headed into a a, a World Series in a 60-game season and this was a normal 162-game season and the Dodgers' run differential continued to expand the way that it did in those first 60 games, we'd be talking about this group as one of the all-time great teams. And that's why they were able to come back against Atlanta. Atlanta just, at the end of the day, didn't have enough pitching. It's a shame for them that Mike Soroka got hurt earlier in the year. Um, on the Dodgers' flip side, they could obviously make the argument that Kershaw was not quite himself making his start in game four. He got pushed back, blah, blah, blah. So to, to go into the series, the irony of Dodgers Rays is they are built through the exact same mold, but one with the lowest payroll and one with the highest payroll. Andrew Friedman, who was the Rays general manager and president, I, I don't know which role that was, but he was either the general manager or president. Four or five years ago was hired by the Dodgers to come in and take them over the top using that role that he had with the Rays. And what was that? What was that role? What was that model? The model was we're going to pay players who can only do one thing. We're going to pay a left fielder who can only hit against right-handed pitching. And we're going to pay another outfielder who can only hit against left-handed pitching. We're going to underpay them. We're going to platoon them and we're going to get the production of a Bryce Harper. So he went out to the Dodgers, took that model, and exploded it, where now they're paying for top-of-the-line platoon players. They're paying for Max Muncie to hit against righties or Jock Peterson to hit against righties. And, and we're talking about names like Mookie Betts as opposed to Randy Orozarena. And yet, both teams are playing the same style of baseball. Both teams are playing with as much flair. 
And I personally, obviously, this was a very long preview and answer, but I couldn't be more excited for the matchup between these two teams because I think they're built so, so similarly. And that always leads to better baseball. I think I got it. So Rays sweep, Boston sucks. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you got it. That's it. Yep. Mm-hmm. As a Yankee fan, that sounds uh, that sounds fine to me. <laughs> Anything that yeah. includes the words Boston and sucks. I'm yeah, I'm still I I'll never we could have a whole other conversation about that trade, maybe in another another podcast sometime. But I, I'm still I was mind blown by it at the time. And it it's only aged more poorly this season. Obviously, look, in 2018, I remember when the Yelich trade happened, he wins MVP. And that looks like the worst aging trade ever. And yet now Yelich is fine. Yelich is a really good player, but you understand what the trade was, blah, blah, blah. Mookie Betts, on the other hand, it just doesn't make sense when you're the Boston Red Sox and you you can afford anything. You can you can you can't. I don't care if you're operating in the red. You're worth eight billion dollars. You can pay whatever player you want. So, um, yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Before or after the Cabrera trade? You know, it's funny. Uh, to me, it can rival it only because of the circumstances of being the Boston Red Sox, right? They got, look, the Red Sox got some solid players back. They got Alex Verdugo. They got, they got a, they got more compensation than what ultimately Andrew Miller and Cameron Mabin turned into for the Marlins, by the way, Andrew Miller and Cameron Mabin both went on to have decent careers. Um, Better trade in terms of the actual return, but because you're the Red Sox, you never had to make the trade. Like, you had no budgetary issues. You just, you can't tell me you did. You're worth $8 billion. Like, you know, I don't care if technically the Red Sox were operating in the red for certain moments. You own, I think they own PSG. Like they make money hand over fist as the Fenway Sports Group. There's no, like the Reds, we have to, to be able to separate Fenway Sports Group from Boston Red Sox and know that the money is there. We so, get it. You hate the, the Red Sox. No, I mean, I do, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeremy. Yeah. So I got a couple of questions from you from uh, Beep Count, who unfortunately couldn't join us. But you first yeah. want to talk, and this sort of leads into what you were talking about before with with the Braves. Mm-hmm. Do the Dodgers become the 1990s Braves if they lose again, given mm-hmm. they'll have you know another you know three and four losses in, in the World Series and not being able to sort of get over the hump and you know yeah, the first I mean, show that you saw with Maddox somewhat, where who never was really as great in the postseason as he ever was in the regular season and. You know, it's funny. I was just having that conversation uh, with my dad, actually, about Greg Maddox compared to Clayton Kershaw before Kershaw's most recent start. Um, we were having that conversation about how sometimes uh, regular season dominant pitchers who and Clayton Kershaw is a, a little bit of a different conversation, but regular season dominating starting pitchers. uh sometimes struggle in the postseason in large part because they're number one, their managers have a little too much faith in them. (laughs) And number two, because in the regular season, you can sort of go out there, mix and match, keep guys off balance. And sometimes you're facing bottom of the barrel lineups. And so there are games where you only throw 70, 80 pitches or you throw a hundred pitches in a complete game, but no high stress pitches because you never feel like, you know, you're really in trouble and it gets to the postseason. You're facing the best of the best and Clayton Kershaw, you know, 
Something that I think is important in the context of this conversation, and I know that uh, sitting here on Lauer After Hours and making this argument is silly because most of the Levitard fandom is Team Stugatz on this one, but Clayton Kershaw is a terrific pitcher. Clayton Kershaw has also had a number of dominant performances in the postseason where one thing or another goes wrong in one moment and everything collapses around him. The amount of times where Clayton Kershaw threw six or seven terrific innings in the prime of his career in the postseason, and he was brought out for one last inning, gave up a couple of base hits or a walk, and the relievers let runs come in. So instead of six, you know, six and a third, one run, eight Ks, and looking like a great performance, it ends up being six and a third three runs, eight Ks. And that's just an okay performance that if he'd just come out after six innings and, you know, and look, I'm normally ride your ace type of guy, but with the way that analytics work these days and with the ability to adjust from at bat to at bat because of camera work and scouting and, and all of that, the third time through the order, and especially the fourth time through the order these days, it's just not the same as it was in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s. It's just a completely different thing in terms of approach from uh from 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 the offensive side of the ball. And so when you look at the Dodgers, to go back to the Braves Dodgers question, Clayton Kershaw and this group have been there so many times and they've cycled guys around him right now. It's Walker Bueller and it's, you know, last year or the years before it was Hinjin Ryu and, and David price. And God, we can go on and on with the guys that have been around Kershaw and this group that keeps getting there. That's exactly what they'll be if they don't win. Uh, and, and they keep getting back. It's the nineties Braves who at least the Braves won one, like the, the ability the the Dodgers lack of postseason success has to be infuriating uh, to Dodgers management, to Dodgers ownership, and to Major League Baseball in general, because it's constantly been these upsets or letdowns that, that you know, that that take the shine off of some of the great players of our time. Clayton Kershaw, we should not be having to have conversations about whether or not Clayton Kershaw is a good postseason pitcher, just because last start, he goes five innings obviously should be taken out and they bring him back out there and then everything implodes, right? Especially now as his back is shot and he's no longer the pitcher he once was. But unfortunately, because the Dodgers have never gotten over the hump and have never had that moment, he's going to always be remembered that way, unfortunately, by some people, which is actually why I do find myself sort of, even though they're the big market team that just made the big trade, whatever, I kind of find myself pulling for the Dodgers because I would hate to have another team like the Atlanta Braves. That's one of the all time great compositions of, of an organization for a decade. That is nothing that, that turns into no tangible success. So when you look at a career like Clayton Kershaw's and you had to make a choice, would you rather have a career like his that's dominant in the postseason? I mean, dominant in the regular season and not in the postseason, or someone like, let's say El Duque Hernandez. Oh. who was a good regular season oh. pitcher, but in like the playoffs, he just seemed to raise his level with the Yanks, yeah. raise his level with the Marlins, and was just oh. like, I don't know, ready for the moment. And there's any number of reasons why that could be the case, but I just wonder what you think, you know, because it's not like Gosh. El Duque's a slub. It, he's, you know, he's quality. No, but he's he had a really near. good career. Yeah, correct. So first of all, 
I hate that you asked me this question because Clay, you could ask me almost any other pitcher. El Duque is one of my all time favorite pitchers. The only reason I ended up with the mechanics that I did in high school was because when I was 13 playing travel baseball after a practice, I was throwing a bullpen to my dad and said, Hey, can I, you know, screw around and do El Duque's mechanics? And we figured out like, Oh wait, when you go three quarters, that actually is a little bit better. For, and we kind of twisted and turned with that and Lincecum and Jared Weaver and, and Cueto. And it turned into one of those funky deliveries. So I love El Duque. Clayton Kershaw's career by far. Okay. Clayton Kershaw is one of the single greatest pitchers of all time. Dominant, greatest, made hundreds of millions of dollars to be one of the greatest pitchers of all time. Can you imagine what it would feel like to, to game after game after game after game in your prime, go out there and go eight innings, no runs, nine innings, no runs, seven innings, one run, eight innings, one run. The guy was unhittable for six or seven straight seasons. Unhittable. 21 and three with a 1.8 ERA, I think, one season. I, mean, I think nearly won an MVP. I mean, I understand the frustration with his... I don't want to say his inability to perform in the playoffs because the guy threw eight shutout innings against the Brewers in the wild card round earlier this postseason, as he is already a shell of what he once was. But the stats, because he's been there so much, unfortunately get inflated because it seems that Dave Roberts and for that matter, Don Mattingly back with the Dodgers are two of the worst managers in the history of managing a bullpen. Uh, I know I know Yankees fans had some issues with Joe Torre and the way that he managed bullpens over the years and then ultimately Girardi and then those were very conflicting interests. Don Mattingly and Dave Roberts unfortunately hung Kershaw out to dry just enough times to make it go from okay, he's dominant in the regular season and average in the postseason to he's dominant in the regular season and he's one of the worst postseason pitchers of all time. And, and that's a shame. And I know it's, it's, it's lame to deflect to management. It's, hey, go get it done. You're an ace. Go get it done. I get it. I get it. But some of these starts have been against cheating Astros. And, you know, some of the, the greatest teams, uh, these great lineups that he's faced over the years, it's just, it's a shame. It's a shame that we, we have to have the conversation. All right. I, I, I totally understand. We're going to throw it out to Morgan from Australia, our foreign correspondent. Go ahead, Morgan. Hey, guys. Thanks for being in this, JT. Sorry about my connection. <laughs> um, I was, my question was, is it Dave Roberts' fault? Um, I'm not Team Stugatz. I don't want to see him. So connection's gone again. But um. so, so I think your question was, is it Dave Roberts' fault? All yeah, right. Let's go so, with that. I think we lost. All show. right. Go so ahead. let's we'll say, is that. it Dave Roberts's fault? I, I don't want to say it's entirely on Dave Roberts or any other manager. Um, I think that that literally the 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 worst job in baseball is managing a bullpen uh, for a manager, because it's at this point kind of the only thing left to do for managers. Right. It's the only decision that they have to make at this point. The analytics sort of tell them who to put in the lineup. The analytics tell them who to pinch hit. The analytics tell them who to start. The analytics tell them when to shift. Their only decision is who do we bring in in this scenario or do we ride the starter for another inning? And it seems to me that unfortunately, 
time after time after time, uh, Clayton Kershaw has just been left out there a little too long. And that's not, that's not uh, necessarily the fault of a manager when he was in the prime of his career because you anticipate aces like Clayton Kershaw to be able to get the job done, whether it's the regular season or the postseason. But in this, in the last couple of years, the last number of starts where we've turned on ESPN radio and had Stugatz or somebody else ripping Clayton Kershaw because of a, a poor performance in the postseason. I could show you the moment where things changed. Like in so many of those starts, it's just a singular moment where hell and er- things we have to think about an error in the second inning that extends an inning and ultimately leads to a really long second. And so he's thrown 95 pitches through six and they try to bring him out for a seventh, the fourth time through a lineup that could have been easy one, two, three inning in the second and then domination all the way through and seven clean innings. So that happens for any pitcher. That's not just Clayton Kershaw, but when you are watching Clayton Kershaw, it's under such a fine microscope and every moment that he fails, everybody wants to magnify because you have me and a number of other baseball analysts saying this guy is one of the greatest to ever play the game. And so understandably, yeah. everybody wants to find a reason for him to fail. Do I think that Dave Roberts is the reason that Clayton Kershaw had a bad start last time? Yeah, I do. He should have been pulled after five, period. Like I, yeah. I was saying it in real time. This is not a Monday morning quarterback situation in real time. I'm sure some of you saw me on Twitter yelling, get him out of here. Like he did his job. And a number of times Clayton Kershaw has done his job and his manager has asked even more of him. Aces are supposed to give you more. Unfortunately, at this point, let's be real. Clayton Kershaw's name is what makes him an ace. He's not the same guy that he once was. His production this regular season was a surprise. It was a blessing to the Dodgers that he was this good. He was not supposed to be here now. He's been hurt. His back's been hurt for five years. So for, for I don't want to say that, that Clayton Kershaw shouldn't have performed better in postseasons prior to this one, but there's nothing I would love more than a dominant World Series start from that guy to just shut everyone up about his ability to perform in the postseason. Yeah, and so often it's like it's not the point that we concentrate on that caused the exactly. It like, just it's like the, the blow like up the afterward, buck, like the Buckner thing, and exactly and er, everything that comes from that. Like it, it, it's not even that that caused the meltdown. Like it's just for, for, for how about this for a Cubs thing. fan? How about this for a Cubs yeah. fan? We we focus we focus on don't, Steve don't Bartman from two, well no oh sorry we focus on he who shall not be named from from two thousand and three, right? Mm-hmm. But but really, blame that inning on Alex Gonzalez, your shortstop, who makes the error, and then that's where it unfolds. If he just fields a ground ball like a major leaguer should do, none of that ever happens, and we're not having the he who shall not be named conversation. So it's little things throughout baseball games that history does not remember, but if you watch the game, you could be able to, to sort of you know remember those little moments. Perfect. Thanks. Yeah, of course. All right, Jeremy, we're going to go over to John in Miami. He's got something uh, he wants to ask you. Yeah, my my question is comes from being a casual baseball um, mm-hmm. spectator. Um, I saw some of the announcers talking about 
delivery and then they overlaid um positions of the arm wow. and the hand and and that was really cool the technology was awesome we've talked mm-hmm. about technology before and baseball and trying to get more of it in there my question though pertains and we spoke about uh pitchers is about hitters um i played but just very you know casually sandlot sure as a hitter when you're facing you know 85 90 95 mile an hour even 100 mile triple digits gosh how can you see they, they made it sound as if you could see what's coming or not what's coming but i'll tell what you what was pitched yeah is that possible yeah so so the thing look I couldn't do it. You couldn't do it. It's 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 training your eye over a number of years to be able to pick things up. There's a reason so many top prospects fail when they get to the major league level. And it's because at the major league level, more often than not, pitchers are able to throw their off-speed pitches for strikes. So when you're playing at the minor league level, all of those pitchers, their biggest thing, these kids that get drafted that throw 95 out of high school, their job in their development you're working on two things. Can I learn to throw a changeup well? Because that's important to be able to, to, to have something that looks like your fastball, but ultimately is 10 miles an hour slower and dips a little bit. And can I throw my off-speed pitches for strikes? And the reason that that becomes an issue is, is as a hitter, what you're looking for is a, a four-seam fastball or a two-seam fastball. You can see it just rotating normally. When there's an off-speed pitch, like a curveball or a slot, in particular, a slider. Theoretically, what you can see on the spin of a slider is a little dot in the middle of the baseball. That's what it looks like. It looks like there's a little red dot in the middle of the baseball as it's spinning on top of itself. And it's a totally different look from a fastball. Sounds easy enough to be able to decipher, but when these pitches are moving three feet across the plate at 88 miles an hour from 60 feet away, it's not exactly so easy to be able to recognize. And so why do hitters struggle at the major league level when off-speed pitches can actually be thrown for a strike? It's because when they're at the minor league level, if they can't hit a curveball, they just won't swing at it. And oftentimes, they'll end up drawing walks because minor league pitchers can't control that stuff as well. So when you get to the major league level, and for example, and and this is not to call him out, but he struggled with it this year. Monte Harrison struggled mightily this season. In La- Lewis Brinson struggled years before, in large part because in the minors, they can sort of guess fastball and then spit on a curveball or a slider. And I don't want to, I don't have a specific number, but let's say 50% of the time, that's going to be a ball instead of a strike. Where at the major league level, say it's 75% of the time, it's going to be a strike. That's the biggest adjustment for hitters. And, and so you can recognize it. But think about 100 miles an hour from 60 feet away. You have like 0.1 seconds to decide decide what this pitch is and whether it's a ball or a strike. And so what you need to figure out is right out of their hand what the pitch is. And if you think, okay, so that looks like it's starting on the outside corner and it's a slider, I'm not swinging. Or it's starting on the outside corner, but that's a two-seam fastball, I'm swinging. It's, It's that quick. And over years and years and years and years of training, your brain can make those split second decisions, but that's what deciphers it. It's basically being able to see based off the laces, you can see a little tiny dot in the middle of that baseball. And that's how you're, when you're a kid, that's how you're taught for the first time, how to be able to figure out what's a strike and what's a ball and what's an off-speed pitch and what's not. 
Excellent. I think Pam has something and hopefully we can, we can get it in here. Yeah. I'll, I'll be um, quick. I promise. Yeah. We'll have, we'll have one-on-one with, with Jeremy um, another time because uh, I'm fascinated. I would love, yeah, I would love to do that. Go ahead, Pam. You there? Uh Oh, I think we've got. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, no, nope. sorry, bye. Pam. Oh gosh, Pam, I'm so sorry. I'm normally the one with Wi-Fi issues, so. Well, I think um, we're gonna just wrap up then. Oh, you there, Pam? Oh no! <laughs> Somebody get help. Something's wrong with Pam. I think that should be left in the podcast. Just her, her muffled screaming. Did I freak? Nope. Oh, hold on. Oh, Pam. Pam, are you with us? Blink, blink if you're okay. Ah, oh, poor Pam. I promise to come back and answer whatever questions there are. Um, All right. Well, um, yeah. Jeremy, as always, thank you. You know, as usual, yeah. Swings and Misses is a great podcast. As is thank you, Nickelode again. Thank and you. It's always a pleasure for you to join us. So uh, let's get a quick thank you, JT. <laughs> Well, there's also seven, seven Sports Extra where he's a producer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's that, that as well. Absolutely. Gosh, I sometimes forget. Yeah. Uh, Thanks, John. Man. I'm glad you forget. have time always for us. So. Thank you, Here guys. Go. Seriously. One, two, three. Thank you, Thank you, JT. Thank you, JT. Thank you, JT. Thank you, And I hope the new place the girlfriend's working out. Yeah, that's it's what I'm lovely. Ask. I'm here right now. Everything is great. It's part of the reason I was late because we spilled paint all over our sidewalk. Thank you guys for having me on. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> all right. See you guys Good later. Luck. See ya. Thank Bye. you guys. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lauer After Hours. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or Instagram at Lauer After Hours. We're available wherever you get podcasts, so don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars.